It's time for this week's edition of the Virtual Bible Study. The Virtual Bible Study is a live, internet-only, call-in program dedicated to the honest study and discussion of God's Word. Do you have a question about something in the Bible? Or are you simply interested in learning more about the Scriptures? If so, we hope you'll stay tuned tonight as we look into the pages of God's Word. The Virtual Bible Study is brought to you this time each week by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. You can participate in the discussion tonight by calling 93 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you to the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday, January 12, 2012. Thank you for being a part of the program tonight, and we'll thank you in advance for your participation and you do so by calling 877-381-4567. That's a toll-free number. The line is open, 877-381-4567. You email questions at collegeview.com, and you join in the chat room with other listeners on the program tonight. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, is with me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. I'm, a, I'm not hearing anything. Oh, well, you're good. You just have a loose wire there. But yeah, I must have a loose wire. There you go. Uh, great to be with you. We look forward to our discussion on the virtual Bible study tonight. We think we've got a topic that... Uh-huh. Is of some interest. We got a little more feedback today than typical, uh, and so I, I judge that people might be uh, wanting to have something to say on this. This topic. is an appropriate uh, topic for January because you're heating it up. This is a hot button topic. Yeah, maybe it is a hot button topic. Let me tell you what it is. Uh, we got an email from a listener who requested to remain anonymous. I actually asked him, Jacob, if he'd care to come on the program with us and discuss this. And he said, well, you'd really rather just listen, see what people have to say. So that's fine. That's fine. No problem with that. Yeah. Uh, We allow allow anonymous questions and comments as well. If if you have a question at any time that you'd like to pose but you want to remain anonymous, that's fine. We can respect your anonymity. That's right. That's good. Uh, I, I, I I made an excerpt of his email and put it in our update today. But let me read you the the whole of what he had to say, Jacob. Mm-hmm. He said, um, I have been pondering a scriptural question. I have consulted a few other brothers in the church and thought I would consult you. I have long understood the error and need to condemn denominationalism in any church. What I have grappled with is whether or not Christians within the setting of a New Testament church have scriptural authority to make a judgment regarding whether attendees of a denomination will necessarily be condemned to torment. More specifically, do we have scriptural grounds to determine that all individuals attending a denomination are condemned to hell? I've long understood why we should avoid denominationalism at all costs for many reasons well delineated in the Bible. We should work hard to educate others of the dangers of denominationalism. However, should we go so far as to presume everyone attending a denomination will perish in hell? I had dinner with a fellow Christian recently, and he is quite adamant and certain that all denominational attendees are condemned to hell. I, on the other hand, have been a little uneasy about that uneasy about that judgment because while I know that these individuals, that is, attendees of a denomination of any kind, are in a scripturally wrong condition, I do not presume to know what specifically God's judgment will be in this situation. And therefore, I have been content to carry on teaching others about why denominationalism is wrong without telling them that I believe they are necessarily going to hell. I would greatly appreciate your comments on this issue. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that was the more thorough email that we received from our listener. And that's what we want to talk about tonight, Jacob. Um, We want to talk about denominationalism. And we want to talk about whether or not it can be determined that a person who's in a denomination, once we define what that is, uh, this this emailer refers to them as denominational attendees. Okay. Those attending denominations. Can we say that they are condemned to hell? Okay. Earlier today to our update list, always reminding you, you can get on the list if you're not by sending us an email to questions at collegeview.com. Put add me to the list in the in the subject line and we will do it. Question number one, define denominationalism. If we're going to talk about that and we're going to throw that kind of terminology around, Jacob, it seems like we ought to have a good definition in mind of what it is. So number one, define denominationalism and then as a follow-up to that, is denominationalism wrong? Mm-hmm. Why or why not? Okay. Number two, is it right to condemn another person's religious faith and practice? Why or why not? Mm-hmm. And then as a follow-up to that, how do you explain the prohibition on judging in Matthew 7, verse 1? Mm-hmm. That's probably one of the best-known uh, verses in the New Testament. Even people who are, are not very religiously active and not very studious of the Bible... M- they might not know where to find it, but they can quote it, judge not that you be not judged. That's right. 
So what about that verse? Does that say we can't judge? Or should we not be making any judgments? Number three, can we make the judgment that, quote, denomination, this is from the email, can we make the judgment that, quote, denominational attendees are necessarily going to hell? Okay. Can we make that judgment? And as a follow-up to that, can you give any specific examples of denominational attendees that you think certainly will go to hell if they continue in their present practice and explain why? Okay. Look forward to those discussion, those questions in your discussion of those questions tonight at 877-381-4567. It's toll-free. And uh, we'll probably have differing opinions on the program tonight, and we'll welcome those differing opinions. If you disagree with us, we especially want to hear from you. Uh, give us a call toll-free. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com. Join in the chat room. If you're not logged in in the chat room, it's very simple to do that on the program tonight. Now, just to begin with. Jacob, by the way, we might mention we have another avenue by where by which someone might come into the discussion tonight. We've got a, an auxiliary computer hooked up to Skype. Oh, you're, you're going way out on the limb. We can go out on the limb. If you've got Skype on your computer and you want people to see your smiling face, call us on Skype. We are in that the virtual Bible study with no spaces, Jacob. That's right. All right, on Skype, look for the virtual Bible study, no spaces, and uh, give us a call on Skype. All right. We, we may have a little hiccup there or two, but if you're there and you want to try it, give us a call on that. You, you know, we, well, we'll make another announcement in a little bit. You know that um, whenever you talk about someone going to hell, though, that's uh, very unpopular, especially in today's uh, pluralistic society that we live in. Everybody's okay, yeah. and it's very un unloving and uh, basically uh, just close-minded and wrong if you say someone's well, going to go to hell. I guess we I mean, we're not, we're not going to talk about denominationalism at this point. We're talking about, you know, if you are well, a, a, a Muslim. A Muslim or a Jew. Or an unbeliever of any uh, an atheist. Yeah. You know, just it's politically incorrect, incorrect to criticize anybody's opinion when it comes to religious matters. Right. And so I guess we could start out, Jacob, by saying I, I imagine that everybody who's listening to the virtual Bible study understands that we are not, uh, I don't think anybody that's listening is going to take the position that we can't say anything about anything. I don't believe anybody's going to take that view. I and, mean, we're not, and we're going to start with the premise that hell exists. There are some yeah. who deny that. We've yeah. talked about that on the program before as well. So hell exists. There are going to be people that are there. And uh, we're going to talk about, will people who are members of the denominations be there tonight? Yeah. So that's we've got some some ground to cover. Yes, we do. All right. Um, let's start out with that first one, Jacob, to define what a denomination is. And we had an email. I'm trying to. Uh, I think we got an email here from Bill in Texas. Uh, yes, you do. Who he? I think he goes at it. So uh, no, that's not the one I'm thinking of. Uh, we got several emails, and I'm, I'm having trouble sorting them out here. Uh, uh, well, I guess we will get to it. Uh, but what about denominationalism? I, I wrote a, a, a brief little article about this some time ago, and uh, I asked the question, how do you define a religious denomination? We use the term frequently, but we seldom stop to really consider what it means. Think about it this way. A denomination is something bigger than a single local congregation. Typically, a denomination consists of many smaller local groups that are scattered over a large geographical area. Many are nationwide. Some of the best-known denominations are worldwide in scope. So a religious denomination is an organization that is obviously larger than a local church. Right? Now, follow-up to that. Now, ask someone who is a member of a popular denomination this question. Do you think that all, quote, Christians are members of your particular denomination? Uh, his answer, with a few exceptions, will be no. Clearly, then, most denominations believe that their denomination is smaller than the sum total of all, quote, Christians in the world. Okay. This sum total of all Christians is what we normally refer to as a universal church. So if these observations are accurate, then we have a strong argument against denomination, denominationalism. By definition, a denomination is bigger than a local church, but smaller than the universal church, and the Bible never depicts such a thing. Okay. All right. Uh, we got somebody trying to get in on a phone call, maybe. Yep. All right. All right. So this it's the virtual. We're on Skype. If you want to call in Skype, the virtual Bible study, no spaces between the words. All right. And uh, uh, if you want to call, it's 877 uh, So you're doing some deduction there about yeah. uh, what if, the, if the it, characteristics of a denomination. Think of a denomination. A denomination is bigger than just a local congregation. Any denomination. 
any identified denomination would be bigger than a, a, just a local congregation. It, okay. in, it includes a number of, lo- of those. So it's bigger than a local congregation, but it's smaller, by their estimation, than the sum total of all Christians in the world. And so it's, it's somewhere between a, the size of a local congregation and the universal church. Therefore, by definition, it can't be scriptural because the, the scriptures never identify anything like that. The scriptures talk about the church in two senses. It talks about it on a local congregational level, and it talks about it on the universal church level, worldwide church level. And it never talks about any groups uh, in between. And so I would argue that denominationalism is not described in the Bible for that reason. Just because there's a lack of authority for it. Yeah. Uh, don't can't find about it find it in the Bible. But there are other passages and other concepts that we can present as well that show the denominationalism is wrong. Uh, and so we'll get into uh, those as we go along tonight. We got some interesting feedback from your emails earlier today. Yeah, Many I, people are, are struggling with this issue. Yeah, I think this is a question of some interest and I, we got some other uh, emailers who wrote in who who felt like they maybe had some of the same problem uh Keith in in uh Hendersonville Tennessee or Henderson, Hendersonville Tennessee yes, yes. said uh, while religious division of any kind is condemned throughout the scriptures John 17 1 Corinthians 1 we must remember that all eternal judgment belongs to God I can condemn religious practices that are contrary to the teaching of the scriptures but I am not in the judging business I'm in the preaching business and the good news of salvation surrounds the death burial and resurrection of Jesus it's our job to sow the seed God will sift out the chaff so Keith says he, he's very hesitant to make such judgment. Uh, Frank in Indianapolis, Indiana writes, I think we need to be very careful when we generalize and say that all denominational people will go to hell. There are so many opportunities for an individual, individuals who are attending denominations to find their way out of the denomination even while they are practicing in it at the time they discover they are wrong and make corrections. God never has given us the instruction to teach such individuals that they are going to hell. He says such judgment is his, and we should leave it at that. But we need to be strong in our commitment to follow what God has directed us and, and to point out carefully that this is the only guarantee we have that we will get to heaven. That's what we are interested in teaching, and we are interested in getting to heaven for eternity. All right. So that's for Frank. It's Stephen good. in Michigan says he's looking forward to the discussion, and he says he's had the same dilemma at times. So. Uh, this is not something I think that uh, probably everyone listening tonight has has struggled with the answer to this question at some time, and so well, look forward to it as we and, through that. And part of that is because people will pitch the question to us that way, and we've actually had a program in the past, Jacob, in which we kind of tried to deal with the idea. You know, members of the Church of Christ uh, are represented as believing you're the only ones going to heaven. Right. And so very often the question will come to us, is it true that you believe that you're the only ones going to heaven. And so uh, we're called upon to deal with this issue uh, fairly regularly, and so it's it's definitely worth considering. That's right, and we do need to consider it tonight. You asked the question to define denominationalism. I think you did that with your article. It's basically division. Yeah. You know, uh, one of the ways to illustrate that is way back when we were in grade school and we learned division. Mm-hmm. Uh, when we studied fractions in particular, uh, a fraction has a numerator, mm-hmm. and under the numerator is the denominator. And when we study fractions, the denominator is what divides. In other words, if you had the fraction three-fourths or three over four, then that what that actually represents is three divided by four. Mm-hmm. The, the denominator is the part of the fraction that does the, de- the division. And so de- denomination is division. It's mm-hmm. a separation, a breaking apart. And so the idea of denominationalism is that the, the, the whole of those who believe in Jesus Christ are divided up into distinct groups. They're not all the same. They're mm-hmm. divided and therefore separated and different from one another. It's denominational. All right, we'll get into some of our listeners' answers to that question on the other side of the break, and we'll hopefully hear from you at 877-381-4567, questions at collegeview.com, and send your comments in in the chat room as well tonight. I've got one question. Is a person who attends a denomination, are they a denominator? Well, our emailer called them a denominational attendee. Okay, they might be a denominator. No, I think they're a denominational <laughs> attendee. Okay, well, all right. 
if you count the, de the denominational attendees, you might be a numerator denominator. And uh, we're going to go take a break, and we'll take your comments on the other side. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. I'm Larry Raspberry, a member of the College View Church of Christ, with a question for you. Do you believe in parachutes? I suppose you do. You believe they exist? But that's not what I mean. There's a difference between believing something or someone exists and putting your confidence in it or him. One who has seen a parachute knows they exist, but has never put his confidence in one. Trying one on while standing on the ground isn't faith either. Going up in a plane intending to jump out with a parachute on is not faith in the parachute either. Opening the door at the moment of truth and gazing outside to the ground is not faith either. It is only when one jumps out the door, counts to ten, and pulls the ripcord that he has actually put his faith in the parachute. Many of you believe parachutes exist, but only a few have actually put your faith in one. Many people in the world say they believe God exists, but only a few put their faith in Him for salvation by doing what He says. We'd love to help you in developing a saving faith in God. If we can be of assistance, please contact us. Send an email to questions at collegeview.com or call us at 877-381-4567. And thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study. Here are some quotes worth pondering. Carefully consider the criticism of one who loves you, though you like it not at present. If you can't feed a hundred people, then feed just one. Be wary of the man who urges an action in which he himself incurs no risk. Every action we take, everything we do, is either a victory or a defeat in the struggle to become what we want to be. Man, I wish I'd said that. Share your comment with the world. Call in now and be a part of the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. Hello, everyone. I'm Britt Haynes. I'm a member of the College View Church of Christ. A lot of people in the religious world today tell us that as long as our heart is right and we truly love God, we can do whatever we want in our service to Him. They say that what we do doesn't matter because God is only interested in our heart. I believe they have it all wrong. True, God is interested in our hearts, but He's also interested in our actions. One reason why is because our actions describe the true condition of our heart. This is what Jesus taught in Matthew 12, verse 34, when he said, For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. So I believe that if we are doing whatever we want to in our service and are not serving God exactly like he has asked, then our heart is not right before God. The members of the College View Church of Christ are committed to making sure that both our hearts and our actions are pleasing to God. If you're interested in doing the same, we encourage you to join us for worship this Sunday morning at 9.30 a.m. All right, we're back on the program tonight, and uh, we welcome you back, and we look forward to hearing from you as we talk about denominationalism on the virtual Bible study. We're playing with our Skype connection, and we may have one going here in a minute, but uh, we're talking about denominationalism, and we're, and we're trying to define it. Let me give you some of our uh, uh, responses as people gave response to the idea of what is the definition of a denomination. Bill in Texas said, dictionaries keep up with the times as to the meaning of words. Today the word takes on the meaning of to give a name to. But 50 years ago we were taught that the word comes from the word to denominate or to divide as in the math fraction. That is the denominator is the number below the fraction line. Then to say denomination in a religious sense meant to divide it into different groups or sects Catholics and most religious people then use the word to mean dividing and separating from the mother church. But I think Bill's right. The, denom the idea of denomination is to divide, and that he used that same analogy of a fraction that I was suggesting earlier. Um, let's see here. Uh, Bill may be the only oh, here Here's one from Anthony uh, in here in Columbia. He says, without looking up a textbook definition, that's a kind of a tough one. In my own words, I'd say it's the idea of aligning yourself with a particular name, hence denomination, of a religious group. The group is defined by its name because its name usually comes from either the founder of the particular group, such as Lutheran, or a particular doctrine of that group, for example, Baptist, Part and parcel of the idea of denominationalism is the notion that one denomination is as good as another. It's just a different flavor of the same thing, that is Christianity. So uh, 
uh, I, I think he, I think Anthony does a pretty good job of defining it there too. So, if we've got the religious world divided, we got all those who claim allegiance to Christ divided up into different groups or sects. If that's the right idea of what denominationalism is, then the, the follow-up question is, is it wrong? And uh, I would argue that it's wrong on a, uh, for, for at least a couple of very simple reasons. For one reason why it's wrong is that Jesus prayed that it wouldn't be so. In John chapter 17, just before Jesus was arrested, he was praying to the Father. He had been praying specifically for the apostles, and he said, but then he adds, Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also, which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice a very fervent prayer of Jesus, something that he desperately wanted, even in the last moments of his life, was that his followers would be united, not in some false unity and diversity. He wanted us to be one like he and the Father are one. Now, Jesus and the Father are in perfect harmony, and that perfect harmony is what Jesus wanted among his followers. He did not want different groups teaching, practicing, and believing different things. He wanted perfect harmony among his disciples. That's what he prayed for. And so for us to willingly engage in denominationalism, wherein the, the so-called followers of Jesus are all divided up, is to act in direct opposition to what the will of our Savior is and was. So I would say denominationalism is wrong for that reason. All right. Uh, it, it seems very clear that Jesus wanted us to be united. Uh, there is no division between Christ and the Father, so how could you have denominationalism and be uh, pleasing to God? And you're up. Yeah, uh, one thing I wanted to add, I think that was a really great point there. Dan, Dan's running the board for us tonight. Dan, go ahead. Yeah, but uh, you know, I wanted to uh, comment about uh, Matthew seven twenty-one through 23, where it says, not everyone who says, where Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many, many, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I, then I will declare to them, I never knew you, depart from me, for you practice lawlessness. So, I mean, I think that's another scripture, you know, whereas, whereas many people will say that they, that they know Lord and that they're actually, you know, doing his will whenever in fact that they're not. Yeah, that, and so it matters what you do. Yeah, it does, and that's an important passage for sure. We, we, even before we get to that, if we were to acknowledge this, this passage that Dan brings up shows that not everybody who calls them a Christian, themselves a Christian really is a Christian. Right. But even if we granted that everybody who calls themselves really a Christian really is a Christian and a, and a follower of Jesus Christ, then even if you granted that, which is not a which is not a true statement, but if you granted that, we'd still be in pro, in trouble because everybody's all divided up. Right. Um. Are we getting that Skype working? No, I don't think it's going to work. Tonight. Not going to work. Okay. No, all right. I'm going to drop kick the computer. Okay. Um. Uh. Another reason, another passage that I think is typically used to condemn denominationalism is 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Jacob, see if you can pick up on the chat room, see if we're getting way behind on we're the chat We're getting behind in the chat room, but and uh, Dave has also mentioned 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, he says, uh, if uh, first and foremost to consider is one in Christ, and how does one get into Christ? If so, is there only one body, one church, one faith? 1 Corinthians 1, 10 through 13 shows the beginning of denominationalism. It can also condemns it. Yeah, let's look at that. 1 Corinthians 1, beginning verse 10. Paul said, "Brethren, by the name of the Lord, uh, I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing; that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and the same judgment. For it hath been declared unto me of you, my brethren, by them which are of the house of Chloe, that there are contentions among you. Now this I say, that every one of you saith, I am of Paul, and I have Apollos, and I have Cephas, and I have Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you, or were you baptized in the name of Paul?" So they were actually in Corinth beginning. I think Dave's right to suggest we see the seeds of denominationalism. They were dividing up into different groups. And they were following uh, men instead of following Christ. And so uh, uh, Paul condemns that there. Now, he was speaking to all those who were Christians in Corinth, but already they were beginning to divide up into separate sects, and Paul said it was wrong. Now, 
That brings up Eric's question. He agrees, but he says uh, it is interesting that Paul addresses the Corinthians with all their problems as brothers and saints. Yeah, well, they may be brothers and saints, but uh, th that doesn't mean that they were necessarily in a right condition. I mean, we've got brothers who are erring. There are saints who've fallen away. And so the, the, it, really the whole First Corinthians let, the First Corinthian letter is written to describe a whole lot of things that were wrong in the church at Corinth. All right, so if Eric's and, argument is correct, then you can continue doing all those things and still be in a right relationship no, with God. No, just the fact that you're still called a brother does not mean that you're in a right relationship. That's what I'm saying. If, if Eric's argument is correct, they could continue doing the things that they were being condemned for. As long as Paul called them brothers and saints, they were being in a right relationship with God. That's, that's clearly erroneous. That's not true. In right. 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11, Paul said, I've written unto you not to keep company. If any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous, an idolater, a railer, a drunkard, or an extortioner, with such one know not to eat. He's still a brother, but he's an, he's an adulterer. He's a drunkard. He's an idolater. He's a fornicator. Uh, even with all that, he's still called a brother, but he's clearly not in a right relationship okay. with God. All right. Good good observation there. 877-381-4567. Uh, Dave asked the question, how can one denominate without division? And uh, that seems to be an uh, impossibility. I think that's the root question. If denominationalism is by definition division, and I think it clearly is, then it's got to be wrong because division is condemned in the Scripture. So denominationalism is wrong. And I think we've got to be strong to say so. Uh, it is a direct violation of what Jesus willed and, and prayed for and and to pursue it, to allow it, to condone it, uh, is to go against the will of our Savior. Okay. 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeu.com. Uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Sure. Eric, Eric says only the man in 1 Corinthians 5 had been, quote, delivered over to Satan. To the rest, uh, he references 1 Corinthians 4, verse 14, I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. Oh, I, I I don't think that pertains to the whole book, Eric. I don't think uh, uh, that he he is saying in all of these things. I, I'm telling you this, but it's not a big deal, and I'm not condemning you. Uh, in fact, for instance, in chapter 11, uh, when he was when he was condemning them for violating the, the, their assemblies where they came together. Uh, to worship, he said, "Shall I praise you in this?" First Corinthians 11, verse 22. Shall I praise you in this? Uh, I praise you not. And so he, he was, uh, uh, again, I don't think that the expression brother and sister and saint in 1 Corinthians is an indication that they all were right. Uh, there were a number of things there that they needed to repent of. Uh, he, Eric says they needed to repent, no doubt, but he addresses them differently from the man living in adultery. I don't think so. I mean, he does say concerning that brother that had been delivered to Satan, he still called him a brother. Yeah, uh, and I, I, I don't, I can't okay. agree with that conclusion. All right, we've got a call, then maybe Eric can get in the, on the line next, uh, so we can talk about that. Uh, Mike in Orleans, Indiana, is on the phone. Mike, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. There we go. Uh, hey guys, thanks a lot. Let me uh, let me mute my computer here so I don't go crazy trying to hear both. Yeah, we'll both go crazy too, and that's not a very. I was trying to get in on Skype, but it's it's just not working out yeah. right now. Okay. So, yeah, we're gonna. Uh, you guys, you, you guys are listed as offline, so we'll have to work on. Um, Anyway, I was just going to call in, and, uh, you know, I, I don't want to oversimplify this too much, but, uh, you know, one of the things that I think we need to think about a little bit is uh, just using common logic. When, when we read our Bible, did God say one thing, or did he, did he write something and mean several things when he wrote the one thing? Right. You, you understand what I'm trying to say? That's not, not a very poetic way to say that, but... Um, you know, there, when God wrote something, he obviously intended just one, one message for that. Am I, am I being clear? Well, just say, say, say that another way, Mike. Hello? Mike, are you there? Are we, are we, can you hear us, Mike? We lost Mike. I can now. Okay, okay. okay. Mike, say that one more time in a different, maybe in a different way. What I'm trying to say is I think there's some confusion that, that maybe we need to uh, to accept all brethren that are denominational on the basis that we all understand things differently. But 
in my limited experience, admittedly limited, but in my experience, there are really three main reasons why people don't understand the Bible alike. And the first one would be that uh, that maybe they just haven't ever heard the truth before. Maybe they haven't ever had an opportunity to look at it in a particular light. Uh, the second would be maybe they've been blinded by some false teaching. They've heard this before, but they, you know they've been had the scriptures twisted. But the third option is sometimes people, when you try to talk with them, uh, you know Jesus kind of indicated that sometimes by by people's fruits you're going to know who they are. And sometimes uh, what happens when you're discussing things with people, it just it, you come to an impasse where you realize that they're not really interested in knowing what the Bible says. They have an agenda, and so they're not really interested in that. And so you, you kind of have to draw a line that you, you realize that you're just dealing with somebody who's not interested in obeying God. Does that make any sense? I'm not sure. Go ahead and draw your conclusion, Mike. Draw your conclusion. I think we're holding you up. Uh, are you there, Mike? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm catching part of it. I, we've got a funny phone connection here. All right. Yeah, but, we, uh, we, we, there must be there must be something going on between here and Indiana. <laughs> well, maybe it's the, the, we're getting snow right now. Maybe that's it. But, I think uh, the Ohio River has something to do with it. <laughs> that could be. That yeah. could be. Um, so, you know, I apologize. Maybe some of this is because I'm, I've been trying to get online, too, and I've, I've been kind of uh, out of the conversation. But, uh, but bring me up to speed. Exactly what... What, what's been, you know, what what, what is the, the biggest problem that we're dealing with here? Well, we basically we just want to identify. I, uh, I'm not sure everybody's comfortable with the identification, but I, I want to identify the fact that denominationalism, by definition, is not the will of the Lord. Therefore, is not right. Uh, cannot be condemned or or cannot be condoned. Must be condemned. Denominationalism is division. And and it right. is it is wrong on that basis. First uh, well, Corinthians one ten. You know, I think you were referring to that. Yeah. Uh, you know, First Corinthians one ten. If we can see through a ladder, we can see what that means. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, and and so obviously division is wrong. And when God wrote the Bible, did, did, isn't there just one message in there? I mean, is it so cryptic that that it's impossible to understand? No, in fact, we're commanded to understand what the will of the Lord is. Ephesians chapter five. Uh, what is it? So you're you're, you're addressing the idea, uh, Mike, that there could be one tr- one one truth for you, one truth for me. Uh, God could say uh, you must be baptized in order to be to receive the remission of sins to you, and to me, He could say you don't need to be baptized in order to receive the remission of sins. So on. Yeah, I think that's what I'm trying to get at. I'm having a hard time explaining it, but there's. There's obviously only one message in the Bible, right? And there, you know, there are certain things that we must do. And so, you know, one of the one of the rules of interpretation is that two people can't be have have differing opinions about the same thing or different understandings of the same thing and be both be right at the same time. Right. Exactly. 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 And so, so whatever the Bible says, it, it says only one thing, and so it really doesn't do me any good to wrestle and to wrangle with, with the scriptures and try to force it to fit what I want to believe, because at the end of the day, it, it still only says what it says. Yeah, and on the day of judgment, that's not going to help me to try to change what, it's, what, it, what it really says. And so whatever the Bible says, that's where we've got to come down on the issue. And Jesus referred to truth being singular, Mike. Uh, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Uh, if you listen are to you guys there? Yes, we are, Mike, but you must, uh, you must be having another connection issue. Jesus referred to truth over and over again as being singular. It's not the multiple You shall know the truth. Truth will make you free. John uh, eight thirty two. Right. Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. John seventeen seventeen. I am the truth, the way. Yeah. So uh, there's just one truth. Mike, you still there? I think we've lost oh, we've Mike lost again. Mike. Okay. Uh, all right, we've got another oh, caller getting in line, so yeah. we'll go ahead and let Eric get on the line. We need to take oh, a break. Just to sum, I think we've kind of been going at loose we've ends. Been we've been all over the place tonight, but just to summarize, let's just say we've defined denominationalism as division. Division is wrong. It's a violation of the will of God. It's condemned in the Scripture, and therefore we cannot say that people who are practicing denominationalism are okay. Yeah. We can't do that, and so... Uh, that leads us to this answer that we're looking for. Can people who are attending denominations be in a right relationship with God and go to heaven w- without 
repenting of that? And I would have to argue no. If we understand what denominationalism is, if we can understand the whole concept of division, you can't be in, involved in condoning and practicing religious division and be pleasing to God. All right, let's take a break. Get this week's bullet point. Eric is on the line. He'll come back with us on the other side of the break. We'll talk about denominationalism some more. We'll get your opinions and your thoughts and hopefully your scriptural reasoning behind those thoughts. We also have a stack of listener uh, comments we need to get to, so we're going to have to go fast. Don't go anywhere. We'll continue right after this. These guys are doing all of the talking. We need to hear from you. Call in now. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. People may have various views about preachers and their work, but the Bible plainly states the kind of preaching that is needed in the world today. We need preaching that is, first of all, Bible-based. The Lord told Jonah to, quote, preach the preaching that I bid thee, Jonah 3, verse 2. Some preaching is pleasant to hear and is entertaining to the people, but it leaves them sadly uninformed about what God really wants. Secondly, preaching needs to be doctrinal. Paul urged Timothy to, quote, take heed unto thyself and to the doctrine, continue in them, for in doing this thou shalt both save thyself and them that hear thee, 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. Doctrine is distasteful to some folks, but it's essential to the saving of the soul. Thirdly, preaching needs to be direct and personal. Preaching that doesn't deal with the real problems and sins of people is of little value. We should not be unkind, but we have to get to the point. John the Baptist set a wonderful example and lost his head for doing so, Mark 6, verse 18. Fourth, our preaching needs to be motivated by love. We won't succeed in reaching people if they can't see that we truly care about them. But when we speak the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, we will be able to help people deal with the toughest problem. Fifth, our preaching needs to be full of conviction. You have to have deep faith in the message you proclaim. As Paul said, quote, I believed and therefore I did speak, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 13. Sixth, our preaching needs to be bold. Some men check to see which way the wind is blowing before they speak. Instead of this, we should speak the truth with all boldness, Acts 4, verse 29. And finally, we need preaching that is balanced. We need both positive and negative instruction. If we omit either one, we will not be effective in this important work. Paul told Timothy to reprove, rebuke, exhort, 2 Timothy 4, verse 2, and in doing so, he emphasized the need for both positive and negative preaching. And so the work of preaching is vital in God's plan for the salvation of lost sinners. We need to do this work and do it well. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it. I'm Dan Quillen, a member of the College of Church of Christ, with some thoughts about making plans. Have you made any definite plans for your spiritual life and for your service for God? We spend time prioritizing personal lives and setting goals in our careers, but do we think in those terms about the most important thing, our soul? Ask yourself these questions. What am I planning to do for God today? In the coming week, what good thoughts will I accomplish for him? At this time next year, where do I want to be in my spiritual life? In five years from now, how will I have changed, improved, and grown in my work for God? Ten years from today, how will my family be? How will I have helped them grow spiritually? Twenty years down the road, how will I be doing? As I approach death, what will have been the most important things in my life? Where will I be in eternity? Missed a recent virtual Bible study program? Listen to any of our past programs from the archive section of our website. Now, back to the virtual Bible study. Welcome back to the program tonight. As we talk about denominationalism. Guest 373 in the chat room says, Far too many people imagine that the church is a democracy in which people decide what is permissible procedure rather than recognizing that Christ's church is a kingdom and the king is the author of its law. 1 Corinthians 9.21, Galatians 6, verse 2. Denominationalism is wrong. There must be no compromise on the, this issue. Christians can and should oppose the system compassionately and courteously, but it must be resisted relentlessly. To no, neglect to do so is to fail in one's responsibility. Appreciate the way that uh, guests... 373 put that. That's right. So what we're talking about is denominationalism. We might not get to this whole topic tonight, Jacob, because we've, we've had, well, first of all, we've been a little frazzled going in different directions, but uh, and I had Mike on the phone, lost him, tried to get him on Skype, and it wouldn't work. And so uh, sorry, for, uh, Mike, for the problem that you've had up there in Indiana trying to we'll connect. We'll take a rain check on that. You'll yeah. be on Skype here soon, hopefully. Yeah. Another program. Uh, but the 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 point of it is we've got to identify denominationalism and we've got to decide whether it's right or wrong. And I, for my part, I have no, I have no reservation to say denominationalism is wrong and it must be condemned based upon, I think, some very clear statements in the scriptures that indicate what the will of God is, what the will of our Savior Jesus Christ is, 
And therefore, we have to say, division is wrong. Those who cause division uh, are are sinning. And they should be marked. Romans 16, yeah, Romans 16 uh, verse 17 says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Yep. So... That's, that's where I am on that. But All right. now, the, the follow-up question that we haven't even touched yet is, okay, we've got some people who are in denominations. Uh, are, are we comfortable with saying they can't be saved in that condition? That's where we're going. But we got some thoughts from Eric. Eric is on the line. Eric, uh, welcome to the program. Hey, guys. Appreciate you calling in and moving to the head of the class here. Uh, you, made a, a, you made an argument from 1 Corinthians. Uh, and uh, Tim has just sent in a, chat, a comment in the chat room. He makes a similar argument. I'll read it, Eric, and then you can comment. At the beginning of 1 Corinthians 1, Paul greets the church of God in Corinth as those sanctified in Christ Jesus. Then a few verses later, he addresses their division. The division addressed later didn't seem to prevent Paul from referring to them as called into fellowship with God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Verse 9, denominationalism doesn't seem to be the will of God, but according to Paul, it must not condemn those who practice it. And, Eric, I think you were making similar arguments. Well, here's what I, I really wasn't, I don't know. Um, I also, like, it sounds like several of the people that respond to you find this a challenging uh, uh, question, and that is how we decide and what responsibility we have of deciding who out there in the world, besides myself, is lost or saved and how we, how we say that and when we say that. And so um, when your email came out this afternoon, Greg, I've, I've, I've wrote two or three different responses and ended up not sending any of them. <laughs> I was looking for examples in the scripture of how people were um, addressed that were in, you know, some kind of error. And it's just interesting. As I was looking through 1 Corinthians and I looked at the letters in, uh, to the seven churches in Revelation, um, you know, clearly in Corinth they had a lot of things that needed to be um, addressed. But... It's interesting the way that Paul refers to them. He still counts them as um, as brothers. And the man who is living with his father's wife, he says he had delivered him over to Satan, and they needed to um, cut him off from the rest of them. So it just seemed to me to be, uh, and I don't know, I don't know if there's like, uh, that. that's sort of what I was just pointing out is that there's a... Um, there seems well, to be a difference in the way that those two things. Well, uh, like on the one hand, somebody needs to be uh, taught and needs to be corrected, like Apollos maybe, or like uh, you know somebody that just needs they they need some more instruction. They're they're being immature. He tells them at times they're acting like children. He's they they've got to do a lot of growing and a lot of learning, uh, but they're not he cut off from the group as the as the man who was just blatantly openly living in sin. I I. I I don't believe, Eric, that simply. Can you hear me, Eric? I don't know if we're. Yes, I okay. do. Yes. I just don't believe that the by virtue of the fact that he uses the expression "brethren" or "brothers," is necessarily an indication that they were at that point all of them in a right relationship with the Lord. We've got, for instance, a young man uh, here at College View that the, that the church has had to withdraw from because he's been unfaithful to the Lord just recently. I mean, we've done it more than just recently, but in, I'm just thinking of a most recent example. I believe he's still a brother. He's he's in error. Right, right. He's, he's, he's lost. Yeah. And he needs to repent. But I would still refer to him as brother so-and-so. Uh, and, and my using that terminology or acknowledging that relationship does not infer that I believe that he's in a saved condition. So I, I don't think that that argument is, is – I don't think the argument that's being presented that simply using the terminology brother or brethren is necessarily a sign-off on the part of the Apostle Paul that all the Corinthians were where they, were needed, where they needed to be and that if they died in the state they were in, that they would be saved. Second Thessalonians chapter three verse fifteen addresses that person who had been withdrawn from, and you're not to count him as an enemy, but to admonish him as a brother. Uh, a similar idea that you're mentioning. Right. Here. So in Second Thessalonians three. Right? Now back to uh, Dave's or uh, let's see Tim's question though. What about? And I think uh, you made the uh, argument as well, Eric. What about First uh, Corinthians chapter one, where he addresses them as the church of God, and then condemns their division? What are you? What's your your explanation there, Eric? 
Well, clearly, and he even says, you know, I don't want to come to you with a rod. I mean, he was expecting them to repent, and they had to repent. Um, so what they were doing was wrong. Their abuse of the Lord's Supper was wrong. All those things were wrong. Uh, I don't, I'm not, and, I, and, and, and let, me make, let me just go on the record as saying that, that uh, denominationalism is wrong, and I, I agree with all of that. Um, it's, uh, it's just interesting. But that opens up the question, Eric, is can you be yeah. wrong and still be right? Can you be wrong and still right. be saved? I understand, right. Uh, that seems oxymoronic, uh, self-contradictory. It, it, it seems in circles. Yeah, I don't, I, it, I, I guess uh, we understand that all of us are, are feeble mortal beings and that we sin. But what we can't do is sign off on sin just and, and say, well, it's it's understood. That's the way we are, and we just. Uh, uh, but where do you draw the line? I mean, if we don't draw the line with all sin, if we say say that some sin can be tolerated, some sin doesn't separate us from God, uh, then how do we know which sins they are, and at what level of involvement in sin we become alienated from God? I just think right. that makes I, that puts us in an unworkable situation. I think we have to hold up that ideal and keep striving for it. Right. I I, I can't disagree. All right. Any any other comments, Eric? Or that, that I was also going to just point out that if you look at churches that were off track, you've got the you know the churches in Asia as well, and you know it's clear that they had problems. And he says, if you don't repent, I'm coming against you. You know, I'm, and so they were they weren't. Uh, you know, they had to change. They had to fix what was wrong, or else they would they would be um, they would be condemned. Yeah. For instance, in Sardis, in Revelation three, verse four, thou hast a few names even in Sardis that have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. So, in the church at Sardis, the Lord had identified. Of course, the Lord has perfect knowledge of these things. He had identified those who had not defiled their garments, and He had identified those who were defiled. Uh, and I would think that that'd be the case in any local congregation. Uh, you know that that there are those who are acceptable to the Lord, and there are those who are not. Uh, the problem that was that if, if they didn't in some of those churches, that if they didn't straighten up, he said, "I'm going to come and remove your candlestick." Uh, in other words, he'd, he'd he'd write off the whole bunch if there weren't some corrections made. All right. All right. Uh, uh, appreciate the input, Eric. I, th I see that we are already past time for our very last. Want to blow through it, or you want to? No, no. Let's take our break, and what we're going to do. And Eric, by the way, thanks for joining us. And polish up your sword. We're going to carry this. To <laughs> we're going to carry this topic over till next week, because really, I think the hard part of it, we haven't got to yet. Right, right. Can we judge? Can we make a discernment? And I think that's what we're, we're going to have to carry that part of the discussion over till next week. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Thanks, Eric. All right. Uh, we'll take a break. We'll get your comments on the other side. And we've got a lot of uh, emails to go through, too. I guess we're not going to get through all of them because we'll go to next week on some of that. Uh, but uh, we'll take your calls, hopefully, at 877-381-4567. Questions at collegeview.com. The chat room is open as well. Don't go anywhere. Check we'll go out after. all of the resources on collegeview.com lately. Check it out now while you listen to these important messages. The virtual Bible study will be right back after this. I'm Tom Goodall, a member of College View Church of Christ. Do you have a question about what has been said on the virtual Bible study tonight? Perhaps you disagree with something that was said, or would just like more information about what you've heard. If so, we'd love to hear from you. Please contact us with any questions or comments that you might have. Email us at questions at collegeview.com, and we can discuss any of your questions or comments with you privately or over email. Or if you would like to speak with someone in person, call us at 931 381 Four five six seven. Our promise to you is that we'll do our very best to give you a Bible answer for anything that we do or teach, and that we will do so in a loving manner. So if you have any questions or comments about our program tonight or any Bible subject, email us at questions at collegeview.com or call 931-381-4567. Thanks for listening to tonight's virtual Bible study, and we hope to hear from you soon. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. 24% of American adults say they believe in reincarnation. 26% say they believe in spiritual energy associated in things such as trees, mountains, and crystals. 25% believe in astrology. 16% believe that certain people can cast curses or spells that bring pain and suffering upon others. That's via religion today.
The word of God says in Galatians 5, beginning verse 19, Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. Of the which I tell you before, as I have also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. We're waiting to hear from you. Call in right now and join in on the virtual Bible study. Now, back to the program. And we're back on the program tonight, and we want to hear from you as uh, we're in the first part of a two-part virtual Bible study. That we didn't, we didn't really think it would be a two-parter, but we've gotten so involved in the first part of it that we're going to have to divide up and carry this over till next that week. It doesn't happen very uh, often. and uh, It seems to be that there's some interest in this. And so what we have basically tried to do is define denominationalism and talk about whether denominationalism is wrong. I hope, I really think that we're pretty in pretty good agreement about that. The question is, now, in regards to individuals, individuals who are part of denominational groups, how do we deal with that? How do we determine, how can we make a decision as to what spiritual condition those kind of people are in? I think that's what we're going to carry, have to carry over. I, uh, we ask a second... We, we, need a, we didn't get all the answers, though, to the first question. We ought to... Yeah, we, we actually did on the definition. Did there you were read only, them all? only a couple only a couple of our emailers okay. went into definition. Okay. The others had spent more time okay. uh, on the other parts. So the second question was is it is it right to condemn another person's religious faith? Why or why not? And how would you explain the prohibition on judging in Matthew chapter 7 verse 1? Let's go to Matthew 7 chapter. We just got a, a few minutes left. Let's go to Matthew chapter 7 verse 1. As I said earlier, Jacob, that verse is well known. The people who are not even students of the Bible, they mm-hmm. can recite Matthew 7, verse 1, mm-hmm. Judge not that you be not judged. Correct. Jesus goes on, For with what me- judgment you judge, you shall be judged, and with what measure you meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, Let me pull out the mote out of thine eye, and behold, a beam is in thine own eye? Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye, and then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. Um, what was Jesus saying there when he condemned judging? Did he condemn all judging or did he condemn a certain kind of judging? I would argue that the very context of Matthew 7 proves that he was not condemning all manner of judging because he said in the same chapter, skip down to verse 15, just a couple paragraphs later, oh says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Mm. So Jesus said, you've got to beware of false teachers. How am I going to know a person's telling? I can't tell. No. Yes, you can. You can tell by their fruits, he said. But I'd be judging. And so that's judging. And but so, he said, judge not that you be not judged. Well, I think what that proves is Jesus is not contradicting himself within a matter of a few sentences oh, yeah. of one another. It's clear that Jesus had a specific kind of judging in mind in Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, when he said, Judge not that you be not judged. I think he goes on to explain the kind of judging he has in mind when he talks about the hypocrite who has a big beam sticking out of his eye, but he's trying to pull just a speck out of his, out of his brother's eye. I mean, Jesus intended to draw a ridiculous picture there. Yes. Here's this guy with this huge wooden beam poking out of his eye, and while that's still there, unaddressed and unattended to, that guy is trying to pick just a speck out of someone else's eye. Jesus said, that is ridiculous and ex- extreme. Don't do that. He said, and so the kind of judging that Jesus was condemning was hypocritical judging. I'm going to judge you when I'm doing the same thing or worse, but I'm going to judge you. Yeah. That's what Jesus said don't do. John in Edmond, Oklahoma, concurs. He says hypocritical judging is condemned here, judging a person for a sin. When you yourself are living in sin, that is ju- the judging that Jesus was referring to and condemning. Dave uh, also agrees. Uh, we are still to point out that the speck in our, our brother's eye in the context of Matthew chapter 7. Yeah, did, you notice he said, did you notice he said, get the beam out of your own eye, then you shall see clearly to cast out the mold out of thy brother's eye. He said, get the beam out of your eye. He didn't say ignore the speck in your brother's eye, but he said, take care of your problem first, then you can see to get the speck out of your brother's eye. Then you will be able to judge accurately. All right, Eric references 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, and he wants to know how it, uh, it fits into the context of 1 Corinthians that we've been discussing tonight. Uh, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. 
then each one will receive his condemnation from the Lord. What do you think about that, First Corinthians chapter 4 there? Um, well, in the context of that, uh, he says uh, in verse 3, with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not my own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Uh, Paul had... Uh, uh, been under criticism almost everywhere he went as to whether he was a true apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. And so he's talking about that kind of judging. Things that belong them, to God. Them, those who were judging him in regards to his apostleship. He said, it really doesn't matter to me whether or not you judge me. What really matters is how God judged me. And I, I think that uh, he was arguing with them not to engage in, in that Kind of endeavor, and also in verse um, five talks about things in hidden things of yeah. darkness, things of the heart, things which we wouldn't be able to know and be yeah. able to discern. Yeah, I think that's right. Okay, I believe that's right. Um, we, we had an email from Steve uh, on this Matthew seven. I wanted to comment about that because I, I had to disagree with what he had said. Uh, well, if I can find, I've Steve. got it here. Uh, yeah, there it is. This, Steve says. Uh, uh, understand that there are different Greek words for judge. The judgment we are not to judge with is the judgment where we put a person on trial where we find them guilty and eventually condemn them to hell. That's Matthew 7, verse 1, he says. The other type of judgment can be found in Matthew 7, 24, where we are to judge with righteous judgment, where we determine the difference between right and wrong according to the word of God. i got to tell you, Steve, I disagree with you on that. You caught me off guard. I had to do a little looking but the, the the word in Matthew 7, verse 1, is krino in the Greek, and it's exactly the same word that's in John 7, verse 24, where Jesus commanded us to judge. It's the same word, same form, krino, and it's the same word Jesus said, judge righteous judgment. So I, uh, I have to disagree with Steve. I don't think there's a difference in, in words there. I think they're the same. All right. Uh, well, we have time to take your comments if you'd like to sneak them in now. Dave asked the question, how can we restore one who's caught up in a fault? Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, if we're not judging. Exactly. Can't do it. Can't do it. Uh, Mike asked the question, or states, Matthew 7 does not mean uh, do not judge under any circumstance, but Jesus was saying when you make a judgment, there are some guidelines you must follow. I think that's right. All right. Uh, Guest 373 says, somehow many folks assume that all judging is wrong, yet they are not re re reticent to judge those whom they feel are judging. But all judging is not wrong. Hypocritical judging is wrong. Uh, that is, uh, condemning someone if they are of the, of of the, the very thing yeah. that you are practicing, Matthew 7, 1 through 5, Romans 2, verse 1 and following. Superficial judging, that is, judge, judging on the basis of mere appearance is evil as well, John 7 Verse 24. On the other hand, Jesus condemned us to, uh, commanded us to judge righteous judgment, John 7, verse 24, which is a judgment consistent with spiritual or scriptural teaching. Exactly right. Uh, another passage, you know, James chapter 5, uh, verse 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him, let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save a soul from death and shall hide a multitude of sins. You know, we were talking earlier about does the does the terminology brother mean that you're in a right relationship? Well, not here. Here were brethren who had erred, and when someone went to them and converted them, they would save a soul from death. They're going to save that guy. He's a brother, but he's going to be lost eternally if he doesn't repent. But how would I know to go to a brother and convert him from the error of his way if I didn't make some judgment? Okay. Well, we didn't get to the... Part of the matter. We well, didn't get part of the matter. The heart of the matter. One of the reasons denominationalism is wrong is because people are engaged in erroneous practices. If they're, if everyone was engaged in the correct practices, there wouldn't be denominations. Yeah, if we were all teaching and doing the same thing, it, there would be no denominationalism. Right. And so there, by default, then must be those who are in error because they're not, all. All these groups are teaching and practicing different things. And if their error exists in one's life, does that mean that they're okay with God? We've got to talk about that. And maybe right. we we're going to pause next week. We're going to we're going to I'm going to try to fine tune this this question uh, so that we can address it more specifically. But we're going to carry this discussion over till next week, Jake. All right. So this is part one. Part two will be next week, same time and same place. Well. 
had a good discussion tonight and appreciate all of our commenters and all of our listeners. Hope you'll be back next week to finish up the discussion with us, and uh, maybe we can get Mike on the Skype line next yeah. week. Yeah, we're going to try to use Skype a little bit better and get some guests on with us via Skype and uh, see how that works. And uh, we should remind our listeners that we're now podcasting a sermon. You'd find out more information about that on our website, on the main page of our website, thevirtualbiblestudy.com. Or collegeview.com. Or collegeview. And that, that's actually on collegeview.com. Or the main, yeah, okay. the homepage. collegeview homepage. homepage for the congregation. If you want to go there, you can find some audio sermons that we're going to podcast. You can subscribe to that podcast. Uh, and also, Jacob, I think we're going to start adding, we haven't done it yet, we'll maybe start adding some sermon videos. We do a video, we, we video almost all of our sermons, and then we, we sort of do a little editing of them, and we, we're probably going to start putting some of those up where they'll be available. That way, if you were considering visiting with the College of Church, you could uh, get an idea of how our services are conducted. Yeah. That might be helpful to you. Uh, we'll appreciate the good study tonight, and uh, it was a hot, hot issue. The, the hour went by too fast. Yeah, we'll we'll try to we'll try to polish this up and fine tune this uh, this thing that we're trying to address and get to it again next week. All right, thank you, Dad, for your time. Thanks, thank you, you, Dan, for being behind the controls. A job well done. Thank you, appreciate you being here and appreciate you for joining us on the program tonight. We hope our study and discussion of God's Word has been beneficial to you, and we hope you'll make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. In the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.